2: Listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash.
0: Uremchuk and Coombsy with you on a Sunday morning, the day after. Um, Coomsey, you over it at all?
1: I don't even really know what to say about that. and I'm struggling to think how to put into words exactly what just happened because that was just insane um i don't know if i'm over it per se i think i've accepted that it happened but there's going to be a long winter of just randomly looking back at the different moments involved in that game and wondering how did that happen and then how did this happen after that and then how did this third thing happen after that like, it's insane to see that amount of things just go wrong, basically in a row. Like, yeah. you saw Seattle just get some outrageous luck on them and, and have some insane things work out for them. And it's just, you don't usually see that amount of things happen. But here we are.
0: No, um, you don't. Before we really dig into things, got to give some love to our friends at DoorDash. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. All you got to do, download the DoorDash app and enter the code GAMEDAY25. Um, So the Jays get up 8-1 in this game. And, I mean, we're starting conversations, at least the people I was watching the game with, of all right, you're going stripling tomorrow. How quickly would you bring in Barrios? Do you trust him in game three? All of that stuff. Because again, they were up 8-1 in this point. Um, and then the first sort of turning point would be after Kevin Gosman loads the bases. There's two outs in the sixth. And John Schneider makes the decision to pull the Jays starter and go to Tim Meza. Um, let's start with that decision there. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so the context of this is Kevin Gosman had been largely fairly dominant throughout the game yeah. and then in the sixth inning he allows back-to-back-to-back singles to load the bases and then he gets the next two guys out so it seemed like he kind of had it settled down yeah but then john schneider ultimately decides look yeah and I'm, I'm i'm kind of guessing on where his head's at with this is he's probably like okay you know gosman allows a lot of contact um one of the struggles for him this year has been you know the other team puts the bat on the ball and ends up just on the grass that's that, just that, what that, happened yeah. and Yeah, and Tim is a pretty good strikeout pitcher. He's been largely reliable in that spot. But the problem here was is Carlos Santana is a switch hitter who hits lefties better than he hits righties. So John Schneider kind of gave uh, Santana and Seattle a bit of an advantage in this spot. And Meza, who I think we kind of forget because he's been around forever, is also a rookie playoff pitcher. This is his first time pitching in a playoff situation. And it's a pretty significant amount of pressure to throw onto somebody i think the move pretty obviously and everyone's pointed this out would have been to just keep gosman and he's the veteran he was pitching quite well even if he allows a few runs then well he'll probably get out of it and you can give the relievers a fresh inning the next inning
0: yeah and, and that's what i obviously would have done i mean the pressure of putting mesa in to in his first playoff start playoff rookie i mean you're a rookie till you're not, right? Like you gotta he's your best lefty reliever. If you were yeah. gonna go on a playoff run, you had to use him in a pressure spot eventually. Um the idea that Santana hits lefties better, like yeah, that's the big mistake is you should've let Kevin Gosman, who had just gotten two big outs Let him finish that thing off. He's your ace. This is the playoffs. It's the bottom part of the Mariners' order. Like, even if the numbers were reversed, even if it was like, hey, like, Mesa... Or, sorry, Santana hits righties better than lefties, I almost would still be sitting here saying, you should have kept Kevin Gosman in. Like, that's your ace. You let him run. And he just got you two big outs. So, that was the first big mistake. And, I mean, it... That started the domino effect. But the idea... And there were people on Twitter, because, of course, there were people being like well john schneider cost them the game well like you're up eight-one. One no. thing did not cost you that ball game like you said there was a series of bad decisions bad judgments by different people schneider one of them but mm-hmm. there was also just a shitload of bad luck in that game um and after garcia comes in shuts him down jays get a run it's nine five and you're like okay eighth and ninth year you know you got Romano locked and loaded for even six outs if you need them. that's my thinking in the moment and I mean turns out you need Romano for six outs and you, you get them I suppose technically but that was uh or you don't quite get all six but that was wow. the next thing that was just stunning is that Jordan Romano came in and just couldn't couldn't put out the fire either
1: well, that's the challenge here too is that is it romano wasn't able to execute or was it that the ball in center field probably should have been caught like yeah they're, they're, i'm i'm I, again i'm not really trying to put blame on any one player or person in total because i don't think that's the proper way to view this i think it's just as a whole everything went wrong but you watch that ball go up into center field george springer's ripping in looking to make an all-time iconic blue jays catch and it seems bo's kind of trying to do the same thing but you'd think the move there would be to peel off and just allow the center fielder to make the catch given he has the angle on it and even if he can't make it then you know he land he's behind the ball he can throw it in keep it to one or two runs kind of thing but the problem was that it seems like two different guys wanted to be a hero at the same time, and rather than just calming it down, slowing things down, and just making the right plan. I mean, it, it, it's so easy for me to sit here and say this from a fucking computer when I'm not the one playing the baseball game in front of fifty-five thousand people, screaming and being all excited and the testosterone, the hype that comes into that. But again, it was another thing that you can't blame anybody individually. I don't think, but. It just goes to show how many different things went wrong. Like, did Romano actually crap his pants, or was it just some weird, weird, insane, divine thing that happened in the outfield?
0: Yeah, it's, and, it's, and that's where so I'm at, too. Like, I mean, if that ball from Crawford, like the nine-hole hitter of all people, yeah. if that ball hangs up for another third second? of a second, yeah. Springer's got it, innings over, Jays are up 9-6, we're laughing. They win the game. We're sitting here this morning getting ready for a game three that would have started in three hours. Um, But it just – and where I'm at today, like yesterday, was like super depressing to like sit there and have to stew about that loss for as long as we kind of had to with it being an early afternoon game. Um, Today I'm just kind of waking up being like, man, like it clearly wasn't meant to be when I sit here and look at our show notes and it's like, okay, this went wrong and this went wrong and this went wrong. And like, I mean, they get Bo into scoring position. Yep. Shit, would have loved a big playoff moment from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know he had an RBI in the game as well. I'm not saying Vladdy played bad by any means, but like couldn't get the signature Vladdy moment. Couldn't get a big Matt Chapman home run when, when you maybe would have won it, right? Like, they needed one more big moment. And it's a shame that we're sitting here saying that because they scored nine runs. They got the big moments from Teoscar Hernandez. Like, that game should have been the staple yeah, like, okay. Teo, Teoscar game that kept their season alive with a good start from Gosman. And it's just a shame we're sitting here now looking at other parts of the lineup and being like, ah, you couldn't come through. Ah, you couldn't come through for us. Ah, you couldn't come through either. Like, shit.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much everybody. You look up and down, and I mean, that's the thing. is I'm not interested in blaming Bo for for, for getting in the way of Springer or I'm not blaming Schneider for making the managerial decision. I'm not blaming Romano for not getting the job done. It's it's the whole collection. It's the whole team. And I mean, nobody really got the job done in that game when you look at it. Yeah, of course, yeah, Teoscar had his big game, so there you go. That's fantastic. But the only one reliever who came in and, and executed was Jimmy Garcia, who got two outs. Yeah. everybody else was you know Mesa allows the bomb anthony bass who was their big trade deadline acquisition the big veteran reliever they're bringing in comes in doesn't get a single guy out allows three hits romano has i guess some unfortunate luck in his first inning with the um with the bow and springer play but then in his second inning doesn't really execute and i mean even adam simber comes in to get the one out and walks two guys yeah. like nobody was really executing and I mean. Sometimes the guys just don't get the job done. And then sometimes you also have to look at the other side and maybe the other side just did some really good things. Seattle got some luck. They absolutely did. The Jays kind of handed them something there, but they executed. And the other guys on the other team aren't just passive dupes. They're not just, you know, computers playing. They're (laughs) guys up there too, like doing things well to win. And sometimes you have to give them credit.
0: Yeah, not. You know, you have to give
1: Carlos per- Santana credit for hitting that excellent home run to bring them into the game against Mesa. Like, sometimes you got to tip your cap.
0: Yeah, and Carlos Santana had an amazing game. Like, he almost yeah. had two dingers in that one. Adam Frazier was awesome for the Mariners. Um, Andres Munoz is just a stone cold killer. That's a guy I did not know enough about before this no. series because he is. At least right now, borderline unhittable, the dude's unreal. So yeah, you're right. Like they did a lot of really, really good things. Um, it's just a shame that and, and game one, right? Like you also gotta give you talk about giving sure. credit to the Mariners, like here's another angle. The guy the Mariners go make a big deadline splash to get and pay twenty plus million dollars a year through seven shutout innings, Jose Barrios sat in a hoodie. Right? Like you wanna talk about how things could have been differently. Well, what if Jose Barrios was at the ace the Jays wanted, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it would have been Manoa Gosman anyways, but it just kind of adds to the frustration of the whole thing when it's like, yeah, you see the other team and their piece is doing so well, and it's like, Jays just don't quite get that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the challenge is is it's hard for the Jays to go all in and pull off the trade for Luis Castillo when they went all in last exactly. year to get Barrios. They traded Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, two of their best prospects, and that leaves them behind with, I mean, what we're looking at right now is the the Jays' two best prospects are Gabe Moreno and Ricky Tiedemann, two players who are pretty close to contributing, so do you go all in again and get rid of those two guys to make a run with this group? Was Luis Castillo going to be the difference maker? Maybe, I don't know, like, yeah, if he had that exact same start in Game 1 for the Jays, then sure, but... You know i don't know i mean seven years ago david price he was fantastic in the regular season and they gave up a lot to get him and it was certainly worthwhile but he wasn't an automatic seven innings of shutout guy in the playoffs for them it's not a guarantee like it's not that luis casillo was locked and loaded to put in that perfect start in game one no matter the situation but no i don't i don't blame people for being disappointed in the deadline when you go back and look in hindsight and i mean I can see it from both sides. The front office can't go all in every single season, but yeah, there was a lot left to be desired. They didn't acquire any star players and it kind of did show. It seems the Jays, the Jays looked in that playoff series, very young and very inexperienced in a lot of spots. It was Alec Manoa, not a great start from the guy who's becoming race. It was, you know, bone blood, like same thing. They had opportunities to come up and they didn't. It was John Schneider. He's a rookie manager who made a rookie move. Um, you can look everywhere they just look inexperienced and the, the, the nice thing for the Jays is that this isn't 2015 16. it's not like they're groups full of older guys and this is the end it's it's it should hopefully be a good learning experience for them hopefully they come back and they're more grizzled playoff veterans next time around yep. but who knows there's there's so many things you can say
0: yeah, um, and certainly you're hoping for a bit of a learning experience. But the other side of that for me is, okay, last year they missed by a game. And it was frustrating, but we were like, hey, this team and this core is going to be around for a while. They should be able to run things back next year. And at the beginning of the season, they were like, you know, the up-and-coming team that can maybe make a push, go on a World Series run, right? The power rankings loved them. And now I just feel like the pressure's on a little bit, right? These two years, they they disappointed at the end of it. But we're sitting mm-hmm. here going like, okay, they're learning lessons. Last year it was like, okay, they're close. They'll make another, they'll take another step next year. And now mm-hmm. I'm just kind of sitting here being like, next year's World Series are bust, in my opinion. Like it's the excuses are kind of all gone now. You have your manager of the future. I don't think anyone with any baseball knowledge at all is going to disagree with that in the slightest. So you have no. your manager of the future. You have all your core pieces in line here. You need to start making runs. There's no more sitting here like. 12 months from now, if they're eliminated and not playing baseball on October 9th, you and I can't sit here and be like, well, it was another good learning experience. Like no. It'll be a flat-out failure. So I think I agree, like, a little bit of wiggle room this year because they're learning, you know, for a lot of them. This was their first true playoff experience, all of that stuff. Um, but going forward now, it, it's World Series or bust.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we can, we can do this for a couple of years. We can say... You know the 2020 year it kind of set the expectations a little weirdly because they technically made the playoffs even though they were an eight seed in a short season you know 2021 they don't make the playoffs but you know they had a lot of things behind them go wrong they spent half the season on the road blah 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 so there was excuses there this year there there wasn't really anything wrong it was a normal season they played all 81 games in toronto they didn't deal with a tremendous amount of bad luck with injuries i mean Jin Ryu went down but I'm not sure anybody even really expected he was going to be a huge part of the team this year otherwise it was things largely bounced in their favor they were the first wildcard team they got home field like everything was set up for them to do well and hopefully they can come back next year more equipped to handle such a moment because if they don't then well they're justifiably labeled as a team that chose and I'm not going to say that just now, that this is a team that can't get it done because they're flawed, cracks in the foundation. They're not, you know, whatever, X, Y, and Z. But if they do it again, then you kind of have to wonder, you know, is the whole thing a little rotten?
0: Yeah, and that's why I think there's just a lot of pressure on this team like heading into next season. And we'll cover that a lot throughout the offseason when we do these podcasts and whatnot. Um, but I think, yeah, there's, there's no more being the, Cute young Jays team, who's just up and coming. Like you've kind of arrived to some extent now. You're all established major leaguers for the most part, and and you, next year's a big year. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. In what ways can the Jays get better next season? I think the obvious ones are sort of internal imp- improvements. You know, you get Vladdy back up to a maybe you get him back to a close to MVP level next season, right? Because while this year was very good. I'm not trying to say he did not have a very good season and maybe we were just spoiled with that insane 2021 season, but getting Vladdy to maybe a middle point there where he might not hit 48 dingers next year, but maybe he hits you 42, right? He, He finds that middle ground where... Again, not a historic season, but he's back to a superstar level, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So maybe that happens, right? Maybe Bo's bat stays a little bit more consistent throughout the year. Maybe Jose Barrios has a bounce back season. That's certainly a way that they could improve a little bit. Um, You figure out the bullpen. That's going to be a big one as well, although it wasn't as big of a problem this year as it was in years past. And... I'm not going to say George Springer stays healthy because I'm writing off him ever playing like 140 plus games in a season. Um, so that's not one of them. But I think, you know, there are areas just internally where I think they can improve heading into next year. That's fair to say.
1: I think that's reasonable. And I mean, the reality is, is barring some, you know, Kawhi Leonard-esque, Raptors style, all in trade where they, you know, trade away a core player like a DeRozan. We always talk about this, the yeah. Toronto teams, it's always the same perspective. The the Raptors went ahead and traded franchise icon to get Kawhi Leonard, who ultimately pushed them over the top, it was a huge risk. And people talk about, oh, should the Leafs do that? Should they trade Mitch Marner? Should they trade Nylander, blah, blah, blah. And now we're probably going to have a winter of speculation where we talk about this with the Jays. The entire team is pretty much largely intact next year. Most players are under control, are eligible to go for arbitration, something like that. The only marquee free agent I guess they have is Stripling. They could give him a qualifying offer. Who knows if he accepts it or if he goes, whatever. But you know, Bo Vlad, Springer, Chapman, Teoscar, Guriel, like Whit Merrifield, Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk. Santiago Espinal, they're all back next year unless there's like a, a move to be made. And it's the same thing with the pitchers too. Like the starting pitchers, Manoa, Gosman, Barrios, Kikuchi, they're there next year. The, the relievers, they're all under control again. All those guys they got at the trade deadline are back next year. Nobody's, nobody was a rental. So the front office has to decide, I guess, if they're going to do like a big shake-up move this offseason or if it's just going to be retooling and augmenting. Yeah. And then I think, speaking of pressure, the place where there's pressure next year is that The Jays didn't make that big trade deadline splash in 2022. And given how it worked for Seattle with Castillo, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure next time around on the front office. I think it was the same thing for Anthopolis in 2015 when he did pretty much nothing in 2014. And you had those headlines about Bautista and Casey Jansen. The veterans were pissed off because they got no reinforcements. I don't know if the Blue Jays this year were sitting around being like, oh, geez, they didn't get us reinforcements because they did add a few guys. but. It's going to be a huge narrative that the front office didn't make the big push, and maybe they will next year.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads
0: and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me.
2: to get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
0: So, if they do make a if they were to make a big splash this winter, the free agent list I don't think is super super kind in terms of meeting their needs for hitters. You look at who kind of the top tier guys are. Trey Turner, Dan, Dansby, Swanson, both shortstops. They both bat right that neither. You're not backing up the truck for either of those guys. Cause I don't view them as kind of perfect fits. Although I know Turner can move around the diamond or maybe you move bow around the diamond if, if you do that, but I don't see them as being willing to go dish out 250 to $300 million to get a Swanson Turner. I, Swanson won't get that, but Turner judge, like I don't think they're going to be major players in that high end free agent market. Is that fair of me to think?
1: Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, if you look back at the few last few off seasons, it was a pretty big contract for Ryu, then a huge contract for Springer and a huge contract for Gosman, as well as the huge extension for Barrios. So they've made some pretty significant financial investments. And I'm not sure I would necessarily expect them to be in the mix to do another one this year, given, you know, they already have like $100 million committed to like six or seven guys who are signed for next year, plus all these different arbitrations they're going to have to deal with. So I think it's more about getting their house in order than it is going and making a huge ad. And if they do make a huge ad, I think it'll probably be through a trade.
0: So that that would be my guess. If they were to make a huge ad through a trade, you got to give to get. Um, I think, you know, there are a handful of flat out untouchables, right? You're not trading Manoa, you're not trading Vlad, you're not trading uh, Bo Bichette. There's guys who you kind of just assume are not going anywhere for certain, you know, Chapman, you're obviously not trading, is what I'm saying. You're obviously not trading a George Springer. Um, but the guys who I think it's a realistic possibility, Teoscar Hernandez is probably in that group. He would have a ton of value. Um, would he?
1: One year think- away from free agency, corner outfielder who doesn't defend that well. You know?
0: I think there's teams who would be lining up to get their hands on Teoscar Hernandez.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, they would be interested in making that trade, but I don't know if they're going to give up something significant back.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it from a perspective right now, sorry, um, of, like, if you're going to bring in a significant piece, like, you look at the way their lineup kind of is, right? So you have Teoscar, Springer, Gurriel in the outfield. Bo Espinal, Chapman, Vladdy. That's your infield with the three-headed monster, Behind the plate, Like, if you're going to bring in a significant piece, they need to play, right? You need a spot for them to play every day. And if you're going to go get a big left handed bat who you're like, they're an everyday player, they're an all star level left handed bat, you need to free up a spot somewhere in the lineup for them, right? So that would likely involve moving out a Teoscar, a Lourdes Gurriel Jr., maybe Espinal's not safe I don't know he had an all-star season but like you'd have to move someone off this roster DeRozan-esque kind of thing although maybe not to that level with the guys I'm naming Um, but is that something you'd be fine with if we got a big deal and there's a left-handed bat and it's a Gurriel or a Hernandez going out the door because of it are you okay with that or are you sitting here going you know part of what maybe makes this team or could make this team so special is that they seem to have a really deep connection they have really good chemistry and Hernandez and Guriel are two key pieces and key drivers of that chemistry in the clubhouse so would you be nervous about moving pieces like that
1: yeah that's the challenge is you can come up with all these players they could get to add to make the team better but someone's got to go I mean yep. you can't just run it back with the exact same team but also add two guys mm-hmm. like you said so they have to decide who it's going to be that they move I really don't think that either Hernandez or Gurriel who are pretty close to free agency and are kind of similar-ish players are going to command an amazing return and unfortunately moving them to it's going to be more about opening up the spot for somebody else so it's kind of that kind of move i don't know it's 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 a it's a weird thing to think about it so it's a weird thing to think what the huge move is that they need to do or if the right move is just simply running it back with the same guys now that they're more experienced and they've gone through it a little bit You know we always talk about it it, it's it it almost feels like you only really get one chance and then you get labeled as a choker and everybody's worried about making all these changes to 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 fix this problem that's clearly there maybe there isn't a significant problem there maybe they just had a bad go this time around maybe they just got in their own heads and they were nervous and then next time around they'll be fine maybe they don't need to make a huge move maybe that move comes in next year's trade deadline it's it's difficult to predict because you look at the team and we've seen them be good. We know what they look like when they're when they're hitting their stride and they're playing at their best. And the key is just having that happen at the right time. And I don't know if shuffling the deck chairs or sending a bunch of guys out and bringing a whole bunch of new guys in is really the move. It's, and, it's really hard to say. I don't know if there's a right answer.
0: You know who's going to be taught in all likelihood? Because I don't think the team's going to be good next year. You know who's going to be talked about in next year's deadline? True. Shohei Otani oh yeah he's got Absolutely. the one he's got the one year deal with the LA Angels right 30 million bucks and he's a unrestricted free agent next winter next winter um if you're the Jays and someone comes at you with an offer you somewhat like for again star level player I don't even know who the player is I haven't sat around and dug into who could be available this winter but this team goes yeah we want Ricky Tiedemann we want Gabriel Moreno, we want one of your high-end prospects. And you're the Jays. Is there not a little part of you, similar to how NBA teams for a full calendar year plus sat there and planned everything because Giannis was a free agent? If you're the Jays, do you kind of not operate a little bit this winter going, you know, we could get to August and Shohei Otani's on the block. And we need to be yeah. the team that's ready to push our chips in and have everything ready to go to get Shohei Otani
1: yeah I mean if there was a guy to go all in on that's the guy and I mean that 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 truly is the name it's such a spectacular talent having somebody that can hit at like a damn near MVP level and then also pitch at a damn near Cy Young level it's (laughs) Catherine Gladdy and Manoa combined into one guy yeah which is insane like I I think if there is one player to run it all in for that's the guy and do you try and get that done in the off season or do you wait for the middle of the year and see what happens? I don't know. Like,
0: <laughs> well, like I don't. So they avoided arbitration with him. They set that record thirty million dollar contract one year. I guess if you're the Angels and you get the sense from Otani in his camp that hey, we're like we're going to free agency next year, um, we're not coming back to to LA, then maybe this winter they're more tempted. But the reason I'm kind of like I think it happens at the deadline is just because. You, you have the stuff with their ownership and all of that. And again, they're running out of years with Mike Trout. I think they're going to give it one more run of like, let's try to get competitive quickly over the winter. Let's try to make some moves and let's try to make the playoffs next year. I don't see the path towards them doing that, which is why I think Otani will eventually be available. Um, but I'm not sure if that's a winter deal
1: yeah you'd think because uh and, and this is a, kind of a corny way of looking at the whole thing but i think if you do acquire otana you'd like to have the qualifying offer as a thing he's obviously not going to accept the qualifying offer yeah. but you'd like to have that back up as opposed to acquiring it at the trade deadline i guess i don't know yeah. but yeah i think if there was a situation in which i'd be comfortable with the jays just really going forward it would be just do the otani deal the deal in february or march you know we all talked about jose ramirez that was the big thing last spring and they wound up not doing it they did chapman instead which is fine
0: but it worked out he he was one of the guys who really contributed over those two games in the playoffs he had a good good year
1: and he had a lot of really good quotes afterwards too i mean if you go through and look at who was saying what after the game he was the one who helped console Alec Manoa after the difficult game one start. He's the one saying, hey, look, like, it's a learning experience. Like, we got to take this and get better for next time, which is nice. He's saying all the right things. It uh, shows good leadership. But, you know, if next March rolls around and there's talk about the Otani thing, then why not just pull the trigger? Make it out? That's the big deal everyone's looking for.
0: Well, yeah, that'd be it. And the other thing, too, is, you know, we talk about not wanting to disrupt this core, but the bottom line is this team is good enough to it's they're good enough to stay in contention all year kind of thing right we're not talking about a group that's gonna like stumble out of the gates so hard that they're 15 games under 500 come July and we're sitting here being like oh shit season's over already like how did that happen like no they Manoa Gosman like they're good enough to to push for a playoff spot where I don't think it would be a colossal mistake to sit here and kind of keep your powder dry a little bit throughout the winter and go, hey, we're saving our bullets for the deadline. You know, I, at first I was kind of sitting here going, can you really run, run into next season with all three catchers? Can you have Jansen, Kirk, and yeah. Moreno on your roster to start next season? And I kind of think you almost can with the DH spot. You can run some sort of a rotation. Is Moreno ready for everyday MLB duty next season at the age of 22? I don't know. But I think you can run with those three. And again, wait till the deadline to make your decision.
1: Yeah, i don't think you're wrong like it's the more you kind of talk it out and just process it it's like the panic move isn't ideal you know you come out of a game like this and it was such a disaster and it was just so fucked. like i think you can make the argument it was i don't know probably what a top top five top three worst losses in franchise history like it's <laughs> one of the most absurd playoff games you'll ever see like i don't I, I think that was the biggest deficit that a team has come back from on the road in a playoff game which is kind of hilarious but I don't think you really win by making panic decisions. And as lame as it is to sit here and be like, you know what, let's just run it back with the same group. That honestly might be the move Uh, as weird as that is. And maybe the solution comes up at the trade deadline. I think you look back in hindsight and no, they probably didn't do enough at the trade deadline this year, but that'll probably pressure them to do something bigger at next year's trade deadline. And that's part of the learning experience.
0: I think we'll oh, agree on this, but even if they go into free agency, don't get an impact bat, or maybe it's just a bench bat who hit, who's a good lefty hitter or something like that, um, they probably either need – well, they need to, actually. They need to bring back Stripling, or they need to sign a starter, right? Yes. Because there's nothing – like, you can't go into next year with – if you lost Stripling and did not replace him – What's your rotation next year?
1: It would be it's like... Bur- be Manoa, Gosman, Barrios, Kikuchi, and your number five all of a sudden is going to be Mitch White.
0: Yeah, like you can't do that. I think you can maybe start next season with a Kikuchi slash White as your five, five six five six. That's five, six. I need a four. You need a Well, Barrios <laughs> you is your wall. four. You need a three. <laughs>
1: And you hope that Barrios is better than your four, given the financial commitment. Yeah, that, okay, that's a good <laughs> you really, point. You really have to. He really needs to rebound. That's a pretty significant X-factor for the team. If it he is. can't be the pitcher they thought he was going to be, then, well, that's, that, was, that wound up being a very poor investment, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Um, so Ross Stripling, age 32 your qualifying offer, no doubt, that's happening.
1: Undoubtedly, yeah. You, you have to at least put yourself in a position where you can get the draft pick. Like last year, they had the two compensatory draft picks, and that was very helpful for them, restocking their cupboard. And it's something that will help them either this winter or next year when it comes to making a big trip.
0: Yep. Um, but I look at Stripling. You know, if he was 29, I'd be like, hey, there's a chance he takes that and says, I'm going to prove for one more season that I'm legit, and then I'm going to cash in in my age 30 year. He's 32. Is he going to take a 1-year risk? I he I think he's going to be searching Stephen Matt's kind of deal here, where he yeah. goes, "I I want a 3-year deal. I want 50 plus million in my pocket or some or 40 plus million in my pocket guaranteed." Um cuz I'm again, he's going to be 33 in November. Like he's he's not going to run the risk of a 1-year deal. But I think the Jays should really be looking at bringing him back.
1: I agree i think i mean you can him to the like if you think back to 2015 marco estrada pretty similar situation they acquired a guy in the previous offseason one for one trade for adam lind and it was like okay this guy is going to be a long reliever spot starter he joined the rotation halfway through the year and he was fantastic the jays gave him the qualifying offer and they just worked out a two-year deal and it was an ideal thing for both sides the jays had a good veteran starter for the next couple of years um Maybe that's the move. Maybe there's a team out there who's willing to offer. I mean, fuck the Jays have given Tanner Rourke and Yusei Kakuchi five consecutive years of twelve million dollars annually. So I mean there's gotta be a team out there. And Steve Matt said that the money he got last year as well, after he's been up and down his whole career. There's surely gonna be a team out there who's willing to give like three years, thirty-six mil to Ross Stripling. is are the Jays gonna be the ones to do it? Who knows? But at the very least they should get themselves a draft pick out of it.
0: And then it's going to be uh, the bullpen upgrade as well, right? Um, I I think the pieces are there for a good bullpen. You know, Romano, I'm still a big Tim Miza fan. I like Jimmy Garcia. I think Zach Pop is a guy with tremendous potential when you look at a six foot four young arm with the stuff that he has. I, I do think, though, probably one impact free agent reliever is on the list of things you need to do this winter, or you trade for one, I guess, if that's a possibility. Um, but impact reliever and making sure you either bring back stripling or go get an equal-level quality starter, right? Those are the two big off-season things we're probably looking for.
1: Yeah, something like that. And I mean, maybe bringing stripling back's the guy, but they have to get a competent left-handed bat to be in the lineup mm. that can be something close to an everyday player, not a cabin to uh, and then you're right, they have to add to the bullpen as well. Because at the end of the day, the bullpen did shit its pants. So there has to be some kind of upgrade there.
0: Yep, 100%. Um, we're going to cover it all throughout the winter. Uh, not sure about the regularity of these, but we'll probably do them every few weeks or so, especially when there's breaking news, we'll have a pot out. Um, and we'll yeah. probably do a few throughout the playoffs here as well. Um, Coomzy it's a damn shame, hey?
1: It is. It's unfortunate. It's. Um, I was really, I, I came into game two and I, I guess for anybody who did listen to the first podcast, we did, I was feeling quite good about them winning game two. It really seemed like, okay, them hitting Robbie Ray was going to be a thing that happened and it did. And you know, I was pitching well too. It really seemed like they had it locked up and then, you know, winner take all game three, no guarantee they would have won that game, but it felt as though they should have had that opportunity and it's difficult to accept that they don't it's. It's going to be a long, frustrating winter after that conclusion, but, uh, what can you say that's baseball. <laughs>
0: Before we, before we go, I uh, need to give some love to our friends at PointsBet Canada. Just looking at the odds they have up on their site right now. The Yankees are opening up as minus 210 favorites to beat the Cleveland Guardians. What a moment that was in Cleveland with Oscar Gonzalez hitting that walk-off dinger in the one millionth inning or whatever the fuck happened there. Um, and then there was the Houston Astros. They are minus 225 favorites against the Seattle Mariners in that series. So, Who are you cheering for? Oh God!
1: I'm pulling for Seattle. I I, I have no qualms with this team at all.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's a lot of Canadians who are Mariners fans, so I, I that's an easy team to root for. Um, I'm probably just gonna end up like not hopping on the bandwagon, but I'll support some NL team. Um, I maybe the Mets or Phillies or something. I don't know. Mets fans seems like seem like they've been through so much. Maybe they that's deserve. Funny, they're funny. Yeah,
1: that that's an entertaining team. But if we're looking at the field in the AL, it's like I don't want the Yankees. I still don't like the Astros. I don't think they're cheating anymore. I don't even know how much of a thing that really was, but I still don't like them. I just don't. Uh, Cleveland's boring. Mm -hmm. I still have bad memories from 2016, so I think I'll pull for Seattle out of the AL, honestly. I think it's more vindicating for the Jays if the team you lost to in that fashion then goes on a run as opposed to them getting, like, swept by Houston. Then it's like, wow, you couldn't even beat the team that got swept by Houston. You are very far from being good.
0: Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) <laughs> uh Okay, we'll have a few more of these uh, throughout the rest of the playoffs here and all that good stuff. Coombsy, I didn't even look how many episodes of this we crushed out um, throughout the year, but there was a lot. This was what? This was episode 119, and we would have started the season back on... Oh, man. We almost crushed... We crushed like 60 of these out this year.
1: Yeah, probably 50 or 60. Doing every three games is 162 games, so... Yeah. At least
0: 50. Yeah, we crushed out a lot of these. <laughs> it was a pleasure, and we will have more. Uh, enjoy your winter.
1: We'll be back. Best wishes. Thanks for
2: tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.